0: This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. Or online, anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. I want to talk to you today about the word occupied. Occupied. So think about that just a little bit as we're looking at several passages here and, uh, I would like to share a passage I was chewing on this past week. Just a little bit. It's a very powerful verse. It's a good verse to memorize if you don't have this one down. It's in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. And it says, dear children, keep away. The word keep means, it means stay away. It's talking about, you know, uh, stay gone. You know, stay Absent, stay missing is what it's saying. Stay not here, you know, that's what it's saying. So it says, stay, keep away, stay away from, what's that word? Anything Anything that might take, and right here where it says take, you could put the word occupy. Stay away from anything that might occupy God's place in your heart. Stay away from anything that might take, you know, God's place in your heart. That may occupy God's place in your heart. Think about that for a moment. Is there anything trying to take God's place in your heart? Two of you think that it's possible. How many of you would be honest and say, there are things that try to take God's place in your heart. Because see, we have this God-shaped hole in our life and only God can fill it. But the enemy of our soul would try to take that place. It really would. And it's good, good for us to understand the enemy of our soul would try to put, let me call it harmless things, seemingly harmless things in our heart. They seem innocent enough. Have, have you ever, uh, years ago, I'd seen a commercial and it was talking about the uncola. Everybody seen that? What does that mean? Nothing. There's no cola in it, right? The un-cola has no cola in it. And think about the word for a moment, ungodly. What does the word ungodly mean? Sometimes we think of evil and dark and vicious, but ungodly just has... <clears throat> no God in it. So if the devil can fill our heart with ungodliness, all kinds of seemingly harmless stuff just don't have God in it. You see what I'm saying? Look at a replay. So we're occupied with that which has no God in it, and that's my question to you, you know. Do you have anything that's really jockeying for first place in your life, trying to fill that God-shaped hole in your life with just seemingly harmless stuff. It's ungodly, not vicious and not recognized as evil. Just don't have God in it no more. So we end up being empty and hollow as time progresses. Let me read that verse again, powerful verse. Dear children... Keep away. Stay away from anything. This is what it says. That might. Well, I'm not sure that I would, but that right there has the potential. Now, there has been in my life, especially years ago, I remember specifically, I had something, a material possession, and God spoke to my heart to give it to someone, to give it away. And we were like, That can't be God. (laughs) Is there anything in your life that if God spoke to you, hey, I want you to give that thing away, that you would go, oh, that's not God for sure, you know? Is there anything that has hold of us that is more important to us than God? Is anything that occupies our time, our energy, our resources that, you know, it's just like, it's ungodly. You just don't have no God in it. But it occupies us and it controls us. Well, I did give said item away. And from time to time, I, I do. Because I don't want anything to be more important to me than God. You agree? So, so let me know what you're going to give away before you give it away, okay? <laughs> just teasing you guys. It says here in the book of Mark, Chapter 12, verse 28, it says, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the discussion. You know, and he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, now here's this teacher of the religious law is asking Jesus a question. And this is the time where you take out your notebook and you jot down what Jesus says. This is important stuff. And it says, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God. You must love him. How? With all your heart. Your soul. Your mind, your strength. He says, love him with with all. And does anybody remember what the next verse says? And love your neighbor as yourself. You're to love God with all that there is of you. And you're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he gave us that object lesson so we could understand it. How many of you have eaten something in the last two days? (laughs) Why did you eat? You got hungry. How many of you ate and you weren't hungry, but you still ate? <laughs> Nailed you, didn't I? I understand that. I've done that once or twice in my life also. But think about it. You know how it feels to be hungry? You get something to eat. You know how it feels to be a little chilly? You get a jacket on. So when it says, love your neighbors as yourself. And you, you know for sure that someone's running just a little bit behind. They're having difficulty feeding their family because they're running behind a week or two. And you know what it's like to have nothing to eat, maybe. You know what it's like to be hungry. The Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. And the people that God brings in your life, maybe you help them with a meal or a couple or maybe a, a, a bag of groceries. Or maybe you, you, you love your neighbor and, You see they're out working in the snow and they don't have a jacket on. And maybe you've got three jackets, you know. So he says, love your name as you love yourself. And you know what it would be like if you're working in in the snow and you're cold. You, You love them the way, and you can understand what that's like. I mean, it's a great object lesson. Love God with everything that's in you. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, it all. Just love God with everything, you know. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's really important. And if you'll do only these two things love God of all, love your neighbor as yourself all the Ten Commandments are already kept. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not gonna steal from them, you're not gonna kill, you're not gonna covet what they got, you're not gonna lie to them, right? So these two commandments fulfill everything loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as you love yourself and you'll find all the commands are completely taken care of and if you'll study this thing out properly you'll discover that love is only known by the you know uh, your response the actions love is only known by the the action that it prompts do you know people in your life who love you? Anybody here? You know they love you? And I said, well, why? And you go, well, because of this and because of this. Those are expressions. They're prompted to do certain things because they love me. Love is only known by the actions that it prompts, you know. So love is 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 obvious. Oh, he loves me or she loves me, you know. And things that we've, well, hey, they love us, you know, because of the action that it prompts, you know. We're talking about being occupied here this morning. That's so what I want to talk to you about just a little bit. and uh, Got this little knife here. I've, I use this for one VBA. I had this case actually custom made. Now, This is a knife. This is a knife that has a special steel sandwiched between two other pieces of steel. And you could take this knife, and you could go out in the woods, and you could take a a log, or you could actually use a hammer on this particular metal here, and you could hammer that blade right through a log and cut it in half. It is a phenomenal knife blade, and it's thick enough. It's a survival blade you wouldn't wear this thing out in ten lifetimes. It's just that kind of a knife. If you can stick it in a tree hard enough you nailed know, in there, you can use it as a step to climb up on and you're not gonna break it. It's a pretty pretty serious knife, you know. But you know the Bible says two is better than one, so you gotta have it as a little one. Go along with it, you know. It's a nice little skin and knife and all and you know uh, here's a flashlight and you can just push the button there. This flashlight right here is not occupied. It ain't doing what it was created to do. I got to charge the battery that goes into this thing right there. But f- when this battery dies here, and I have this on my belt there, has this little light. You see that little light? It's aimed directly f- in front of me just so I can take a couple of steps and not step on something I shouldn't. You know, f- there's a, a fire starter here. And... F- we can dunk this in the water, pull it out, and start a fire with it. I mean, it will start thousands of fires. And then on the back has a special kind of a sharpening stone, custom made for sharpening the particular angle of the blade on this knife. It'll keep it razor sharp. Now I would say right now that this sheath here is occupied. Would you say that? It's occupied. It's full, if you would. Good old faithful. Now, you know I have two or three flashlights. <laughs> Isn't that right, dear? <laughs> At least two or three flashlights. Man can never have too many flashlights or f- pocket knives, you know? But f- I'm going to... Try to protect your eyes. I'm not going to hold it down long, but I just want to make it shine at you for just a second. It's bright, wasn't it? Who? It's not bright at all. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was Occupied. Smarties. (laughs) Smarties. <laughs> you know, smarties should be in your mouth, not in your flashlight. Hmm. Well, what should be in the flashlight? Hmm. Now, if you was camping, hiking, camping at night, would you rather have a flashlight full of Smarties or battery? (laughs) (laughs) If you only had a choice of one. I have a sneaking suspicion, at least where I live, the Smarties would attract the lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And I would just hear them around me, you know. Now, when I'm in the woods, I got a headlamp and I got my flashlight. This flashlight is always with me, along with two other backups, you know, and a couple of extra batteries that I keep charged up, and all. Try not to shine at you, but let me see if it works now. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, you, you guys, you should know to wear sunglasses to church. You should know that, you know. But f- you know what? This flashlight is doing what it was created to do. And this is my favorite. All my flashlights, it, it holds a phenomenal charge. It has a tremendous, you know, flood light built into it and a spotlight. And you can change that. It, but it's phenomenal. And if I'm going through the woods with my little headlamp on. If I see something that's a little glowing over there, I go, and then I see, oh, oh. oh. I said, dear, there's a raccoon. Oh, there's a bear. I can see it from a distance. And it's safer for me walking in the woods at night than in the daytime. In the daytime, I can't see the lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. They can be in the bush or freaking out. But at nighttime, if I shine light over there, their eyes glow like reflectors. And I know they're there. And my flashlight is doing what it was created to do. Are you doing what you were created to do? You were created to be occupied with God. And you'll reach your full potential. But lots of times there's some stuff that we're occupied with, like Smarties, you know? Smarties will not help this flashlight reach its full potential. And, you know, if I'm just using this as a Smartie holder, I probably wouldn't bother carrying it anymore. It's, It's not that valuable to me. Well, if you and I want to reach our full potential and do what we were created to do, you know, that's really important that we can do that. Uh, listen to what it says here, um, getting back to our being occupied with God and loving Him, being occupied with His love. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, For the true love of God, this is the Amplified Bible, for the true love of God is this, that we. Uh, blah, 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 blah. That we habitually. habitually, what does that mean? Consistent, continued. You know, it's, it's not ending that we have made a habit of this, that we, that he says here, for the true love of God is that we habitually keep his commandments and we remain focused on his Precepts And his commandments and his precepts are not difficult to obey. Uh, his commands and his precepts and, and decrees, and all, they're good for us. It's healthy for us. It helps us to reach our full potential. And, and he's telling us that love, you know, when you say, I love God. How many of you know that talk is sheep? Have you ever known people who might have said, Some guy to a girl, I love you. He has ulterior motives. And he says, I love you to many people. Some girl who might say that to a guy, oh, I love you, looking for one thing. But see, talk is cheap. The Bible tells us that, you know, to love God, it means that we're habitually keeping his commands. We're doing what he says. We remain focused on his precepts. And his commands and his, his precepts, they're not difficult to obey. God says in his word, if you love me, keep my commands. That's simple. It really is. If, if you love me, you know, be occupied with my word. Be occupied, you know, w- with him. That's what he's talking about. For it says in verse four, this is 1 John chapter five, verse four. It says, for everyone born of God, and that's the same term as being born again for everyone born of God is what's that say victorious I like the idea of being victorious and when you're born again when you're born of God you'll be victorious because you you are being occupied with God himself for everyone born of God is victorious and overcomes the world and this is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world our what's that next word it's kind of like habitual. It's our continuing persistent faith, our faith in Jesus the Son of God. And when we've been born again, we overcome the world. We genuinely do. We we become victorious. We we conquer continuing persistently because of our faith because we're occupied with God and and his word, and we'll reach our full potential, you see. Like a f- flashlight, when it's occupied with this fully charged battery, it reaches its full potential. I always go, I do have quite a few flashlights in my possession, but when I go up on the mountain, this was always close at hand. Always. Because I need some light when I'm going up there, because there are lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, you know? Well, there are mountain lions up there. There are probably not no tigers, but there are bears. We have bears in our yard on a regular basis, you know? But this helps me. And my Bible tells me that Jesus is the light of the world. <clears throat> Let's let him occupy us, <clears throat> excuse me, so we can reach our f- full potential. Now, you gotta understand, I'm not talking about being full of rules and rituals and obligations. You know, there's an old song about, oh, how He loves you and me. And and I think we learned that even when we're a child because he loves us. What's that song that we often learn as a child? Let's see. Jesus loves me. Y'all know that song? This I know. How? For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Because the Bible tells me so. And what the greatest command in the Bible is that we love him. With our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. And then we love our neighbor the same way we love ourselves. That's really simple. It's putting the cookies on the lower shelf, if you would. There's uh, another song that's been out for, I don't know, 10, 12 years or so, and it goes like this. I'm sure we sing here a few times. It goes, uh, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, for it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. See, worship is all about him. It's our, our love responding to his love, our heart responding to his heart. And sometimes if worship is about how entertainers, what kind of entertainers or, or what a show we can present, that's not true worship, but it's really all about loving God back because he loved us first in the first place, you know. The greatest command is to love him with all of our heart our soul our mind our strength. Love our neighbor as ourself. I'm going to tell you, if we reach our, our, our full potential when we're occupied with God and his love. We're occupied with God and his word. I was reading about this uh, old uh, gentleman who was from the country and he visited London for the first time and in a, a great art gallery, which he had never been to one before, but in this great art gallery, he looked at different paintings. He was impressed with them, but he was especially impressed with a picture of Jesus dying on the cross. And as he gazed earnestly upon it, a deeper love for the Savior flooded his heart. With great feeling, he exclaimed, Bless him. I love him. I love him so. An old country man. He became occupied. With Jesus. Those standing nearby heard him and they saw tears glistening on his careworn face as he stood completely oblivious of the presence of anyone else. He was occupied with Jesus and didn't even hardly know anybody who was else in the room. Some folks came close to him and they said, We too love him, brother. Though they were strangers to each other, they'd never met before, they were drawn together by their love and their adoration for Jesus. See, he was occupied with Jesus. And it was evident. It says, uh, you know, love is only known by the action of prompts. We know when people love us. It's obvious when we love God. Or when we love others, because our actions declare it. You can see it very easily. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her home is now occupied with Jesus and his disciples, you know. How would you like that? Jesus... And his disciples, 12 of them, they just knock on your door expecting lunch. <laughs> now, there's a small percentage that would be prepared for that. But there's a lot of you like, I've got to go grocery shopping, you know, or something or other. Whatever. But anyhow, this is what happened, you know. And it says here, they came to a certain village where the woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister, Mary, she sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Mary was occupied with Jesus as she sat at his feet. Martha's house was occupied with Jesus. And she was busy in the hustle and bustle of getting a meal together, you know, on the spur of a moment, kind of a deal here. She was engaged, if you would. You know, and all this stuff that was going on, while Mary was engaged with Jesus himself. Uh, a picture, if you would, a bicycle sprocket. You know where the crank's at that you pedal? And you got the sprocket and you got the chain. All those little teeth from the sprocket are sticking into the different links of, of the chain. They're occupied. They're, they're, they become one and, and they're working together to accomplish its goal. Mary was engaged with Christ, you know. Martha was engaged with the busyness of preparing this, this meal for unexpected guests, you see, you know? Mary, she was, she was full. She didn't want nothing else. You are hearing about meals and dishes and setting tables and all that. Mary's like, I got everything I want right now. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's clinging to every word that she hears and every movement that Jesus makes. She is occupied with him personally. She's just, you know, uh, engrossed in all that's going on here uh, to the exclusion of everything else. I don't want anything else. You know, we we don't have to eat. I mean, it's her perspective. Mary was taken with Jesus. She was clinging to the words. It was giving hope and faith was rising. She was being inspired by every word. And it says here in verse 40, but Martha was distracted. You ever ever been distracted before? Excuse me a moment. Uh, Y'all still here, aren't you? Okay. I, I thought I saw a bird over here somewhere. You ever been distracted by something of less value? Maybe something that's trivial and you get distracted. It says, Martha... It wasn't trivial, it was a big to-do, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, you know what Lord means? It means master, one who has absolute control of every area of my life. She called him Lord. And it says here, she came, Martha who was distracted about this big dinner, and all the preparation and she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair? Another word for unfair is wrong. Doesn't it seem wrong? Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here? She's taken with you. She's clinging to every word. She's ignoring her normal responsibilities in the house. Jesus, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? This is Martha. Tell her. Tell her, Jesus. Tell her to come help me. You see what's going on with Martha? She is, oh, hoo, 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 you know. Mary is captivated, clinging to every word, finding hope, being inspired and encouraged. And that's all she wants. And ain't nothing more important, nothing more valuable. She is occupied, captivated, if you would, with Jesus himself. Verse 41 says, But the Lord said to her, You got to understand that Jesus loved Martha. Somebody's got to fix a meal from time to time, you know. But she's kind of off off the chart here. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. It's not wrong to have some details, but you're worried and upset about all of it, you know? There is only one thing. How many things? There's only one thing worth being concerned about. (laughs) And Mary has discovered it. Not only had Mary discovered it, but Mary also chose it. I could be all involved about the meal, you know, all the details and they'll brag about, oh, this is the best meal they've had in a long, long time. And she could have been involved in all those details. Or I personally believe... It would have been a phenomenal miracle if Martha had said, move over, Mary. Now, what was you saying, Jesus? Probably would have seen a miracle. There's other times when Jesus took a few fish and a few loaves of bread and he fed 5,000 men, the Bible says, plus their wives and plus their children, which could have been 15,000 people. And Jesus is telling Martha here, he says, uh, only one thing we're being concerned about and Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Let me read this out of the Message Bible, that last verse, verse 42. It says, one thing only is essential and Mary has What? She made the choice. And you and I will choose what occupies us. We'll choose that. And there's only one thing that will satisfy us and help us reach our full potential. One thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. And I like the way this says it says, it's the main course. Mary is enjoying the main course. What does the Bible tell us? Man can't live by uh, bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And she wasn't having to get it from a book. She was hearing it with her own ears from the Son of God himself. One thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. Have you? It's the main course. It's the main course. It's not the hors d'oeuvres. It's not all the other little things that just adds to the ambience of the room, and you're just nice and pretty, and it's the main course, and it won't be taken from her, Martha. Mary made a good choice. And we're not taking I am not sending Mary to help you. And Martha, maybe she did. It don't say. Maybe Martha did say, Scoot over Mary. I'm sitting down with you. You know, I want some of this main course. Hopefully, that's what she did. This is what it says here in Matthew chapter 6. This is probably one of the uh, verses that Christians, when they first come to know Christ, they learn it pretty early on in their Christianity. It's a powerful verse. And Jesus is speaking, and he says, seek the kingdom of God. And when you're seeking the kingdom of God, you're seeking the king also. And he says, seek the kingdom of God, Above all else, there's lots of stuff that we can seek. And there's priorities to it. But he's telling us the first thing we ought to seek is the kingdom of God above everything else and live righteously. I mean, live Christ-like, you know. Live the way Jesus lived. So he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you, what does that say? Everything you need. Do you need anything today? For, for real. If if God was here in the flesh, standing here and saying, "Do you have a need? Anybody here have a need? Do you need anything? Anything? It doesn't matter. Anything. The sky is a limit." He says the quickest way to get. Anything and everything that you need is to seek the kingdom of God first. Be occupied with God himself. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Remember what our our theme was at the uh, picnic last week when we all got together? His goodness is running after you. You know, that's in the Bible, right? where in Psalms it says, Surely his, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. They're following me. The goodness of God. If I'll just slow down and stop you know, pursuing other things of lesser value, his goodness and mercy is running after me, trying to catch me with the goodness of Almighty God. It kind of echoes seeking the kingdom of God above all else. To live righteously, and he will give you, what's that again? What percent? <laughs> everything you need. What do you need? Think about it. What do you need right this moment today? I'm not even talking about tomorrow, next week, but what do you need today? He said if you'll put him in his kingdom first, he's going to give you everything that you need. He said that. And I have a lot of history with God And I have found he's always been true to his word. Always been true to his word. So he goes on to say in verse 34, so don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about getting that dinner together. Don't worry about what's going on here. Don't worry about if you got God first. You got his kingdom first. That's what he said. Don't worry about all that stuff. Don't worry about it. It's not important enough to worry about. You remember Judas Iscariot? He was occupied with material stuff. He was occupied with the thoughts of fame and fortune. Did I tell you all this already? That Judas, he heard Jesus talking about setting up his kingdom. And he thought he was was like a a politician, you know, a a ruler. And he thought Jesus was going to set up his kingdom on earth. And he was going to be like the treasurer or he was going to be in charge of important things and he'd become famous. And once he discovered that Jesus was talking about his kingdom is of another world, he went and betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, the Bible tells us. Now the enemy of our soul is targeting us. He genuinely is. He's trying to stuff stuff in us, trying to stuff us full of harmless seeming stuff, ungodly stuff he's trying to just, Occupy us with all kinds of stuff so there's no room for God. The enemy of our soul is trying to do that. Uh, Are you occupied with Jesus? You're occupied with something. Your time is occupied with something. Your heart is occupied with something. There's something that you pursue. What is that, you know? It says there in Hebrews eleven twenty five, 25, Moses, it says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Don't get preoccupied with sin. Do, uh, this is a beautiful day outside. Is, is this a beautiful day? But how many of you know that this season will come to an end? Think about December and January and February. Oh, you don't want to think about that. But you know the season will come to an end. And the Bible says that the... There is pleasure in sin. Y'all know that sin is pleasureful? But it says there is pleasure in sin for a season. It will come to an end and there will be consequences. That's what it tells us. So we can be occupied with God himself and reach our full potential or be occupied with all this other stuff that ultimately will leave us empty and hopeless. It really will. It tells us here in Matthew 16, 26, it says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? But if, if we are occupied with seemingly harmless stuff, well, there won't be no light in us, but if we're occupied with seemingly harmless, ungodly stuff, how does it really benefit us if we lose our soul, but something you may not have thought about And your children may lose their soul too because you influence them greatly. Or other people's kids or the people you work with or the people in your community, your family. Because you're occupied with something that will let you down one day and they're following you. What is more valuable that you have than your soul? Anything? Nothing is more valuable than our soul. First John chapter 5 verse 21 I'm Just going to read real quick again and it says dear children keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart if you know you know I got this weakness in this uh, I got to stay away from that because I could become you know all caught up in that and it's the most important thing and you understand what I'm talking about The the great gift for Almighty God, he blesses us. And he gives us gifts, and he gives us gifts, and he gives us gifts, and he blesses us so much, and it's like after a while, it's like, and God's going, hey, I'd like to hang out with you. Well, God, I'm too busy. All these gifts, thank you for the gifts. These are wonderful. I ain't got time right now for you. I'm enjoying the gifts you gave me. You see where I'm going with that? We can get caught up with what God's given us. He is a great giver, and then we have no time for the giver because we're just caught up with the gifts he gave for us, you know. It says here in Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, guard your head. Heart. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh. If you're going to guard your head, the Bible talks about the armor of God. There's a helmet, right? But he don't say head. He says, above all else, it's not your head, but guard your what? Heart. Your heart. And if you'll know the Armor of God that's found in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about having a breastplate to protect all your your vital organs, your heart, specifically. And he says here, he says, uh, Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. Everything you do, guard your heart. And by what you see and what you hear, because what you see and what you hear gets into your heart, and it can take God's place. So you got to be careful what you're looking at, where you're surfing on the Internet, what you're watching, what you're listening to, because it can take God's place in your heart. It can do that, you know? And Satan is always trying to stuff things into your heart. You know, uh, years ago, probably my first year in ministry, I read about this pastor who someone in his church had had this calf on his mountain and they told me hey would you like to have a week up there you know it's it's available and so the pastor went to have a little sabbatical to pray and study and just to rest for a whole week so he went there together that night picked a little some something to eat went to sleep started to stay really early went out to the cafe oh it was a glorious day like today beautiful went out there and there was a grassy meadow that went down to this big beautiful lake and he walked about half way down there and he just sat down and he laid back in the, the grassy meadow and he just looked at the lake and he saw these big white fluffy clouds just floating by. And out in the middle of the lake he saw there's an island. had several trees on it and there was a great big old dead tree up there with some broken branches on it. And as he looked there he was just soaking up the sun and just enjoying the beauty and the quiet there. And he saw something on the old dead tree that moved. It was like was that? And he looked and he looked and it was an eagle that was on one of the branches of the tree that he hadn't noticed before and every once in a while as that eagle was like preening his feathers and all, every once in a while he would go and look up. Go back just sitting there picking out a couple little feathers and all and every once in a while he'd look up. And then that eagle it just jumped with great power, it just jumped up off the branch. And the branch was just kind of vibrating in the, the wind after that. It jumped up there and it began to pound those wings against the air, pounding powerful Powerful wings. And he was working hard, pounding his wings against the air. And he began to gain a little bit of altitude. He was pounding them wings against the air. He was gaining a little bit more altitude. Getting a little bit higher, a little bit higher. And he continued to pound and pound and, and began to you know gain more altitude with every pound you know, of those powerful wings. And all of a sudden, he caught what you call a thermal. It's where warm air is rising up. And he caught the thermal and it's like, he never flapped his wings again. He just glided. And he began to circle. He could tell where those thermals was at. And he just continued to fly around in the thermals. And they were just lifting him higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher until the eagle went through a cloud. But he could see it on the other side of the cloud as he continued to go higher and higher and higher and higher. and and, and higher, and the pastor's just looking there in absolute amazement, and then the eagle just completely disappears because he had flown so high. Helps me to understand this passage. Colossians 3, 2, it says, set your affections. You got affections? Well, let's include the word appetites. Set your affections, set your appetites, set your desires. He says here, set your affections on things above, kingdom stuff. And set your affections on the king himself. So set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For, for you're dead to your sinful nature, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And we're to forgetting the things which are behind. And the scripture actually says that to do that and reaching to that which is ahead of us, which is in front of us, you see. There's a guy by the name of Sir Francis Drake. Let me just read just a little quick clip. He says, disturb us, Lord. Now, I don't know what you would do if I begin to pray that way for you before you leave. Lord, please disturb these people. And say, yeah, just like this. I got to get out of here, you know. (laughs) I don't want God disturbing me. We talk about getting out of our comfort zone, but we really don't want to do that, do we? (laughs) Let me read you the article. Disturb us, Lord, when, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we have sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord. When with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your majesty. We're losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push us into the future in strength and courage, hope, and in love. Disturb us, Lord. Get us out of our comfort zone, is what he's talking about, but occupy us. Fill us with yourself, where we're willing to go wherever you want us to go, do whatever you want us to do, say whatever you want us to say, to living on the edge, reaching our full potential. Proverbs 4:27 says, "Don't get sidetracked. You ever get sidetracked? Easy to get sidetracked. Little old stuff and get us sidetracked if we're not careful. He says, don't get sidetracked with with harmless, seemingly harmless stuff. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. It takes us to be alert. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but deer season came in today. I almost stayed home. <laughs> I'm not teasing. It did come in today, but I know something about deer. You can see a deer... I've seen this many times. You go up on a mountain. Here's the top of the mountain. And the deer are not going to sit on the top of the mountain. He's going to come down about like here. He's going to lay there behind a log or something looking out over here. But he's watching behind him. He's watching on the other side of the mountain with his nose. Because he's on the mountain where the wind is blowing up and over. So he can tell a few things sneaking up on him. And he's watching with his eyes. Everything that's down below him. And his ears are up like this, you know. Is his radar, you know, as he's listening, he's smelling, he's seeing. They're very, very elusive, you know. They really are. And we need to have this kind of alertness, you know, to be like a deer to protect us from distractions and dangers that are trying to sneak up on us. The devil's trying to aim. He's targeting our heart to stuff things in our heart so there's not any room for God. That's what the Bible says, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Listen to what Jesus says in in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. He says, this is Jesus talking. he says, but I have this complaint against you. And what's the great commandment? Love the Lord for your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about love. He says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Is that true of you? Do you love God less now than you did once? You know, it's all about loving God and it's about loving people. That's what's really important, see? Not just become preoccupied with other stuff of less value. And then in verse 5 it says, "Look how far you have fallen from your first love. H- has your well of devotion to God has it run dry?" Have you, through the busyness of life, and life does get us pretty busy, have you left your first love? And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, you've you, you, you left your first love. Verse 5 says, Look how far you have fallen from your first love. Now, I was reading about this guy some time back. He was on a ship, these old, big old sailboats, phenomenal vessels, and he was cleaning his ship you know, swabbing the deck and all. And they had this great big old compass. had like a glass bubble over it. And there was brass, you know, that the glass was attached to and the compass was under there to keep it dry and all that. And then it was attached to a massive part of the ship. And he had his little bandana out there as he was cleaning. And he took his bandana and he took his knife and he'd take his knife point and put it in the bandana. And where the brass met the glass he's he poured it around in that little crevice to get out the gunk that had accumulated there and he cleaned it out i mean it was it was spick and span but what happened within a, a week and a few days that ship had a horrible crash and the bad thing about the crash was it was 300 miles off course it was supposed to come into this harbor but it ran over these rocks, if you would, out at sea in a shallow. Tremendous loss of life. And upon investigation, they discovered that just the teeny tiniest point of his knife in that crevice had broke off. Just a teeny little piece. But how does a, a compass work? It's magnetic. And that little teeny point of metal threw the compass off just a little bit. But in the sailing of a week and a half, it wasn't just a little bit off. It was 300 miles off course. So don't think that just, oh, I know God don't like this, but that little old thing don't really hurt me that much. That little old thing can have you so far off course. It really can. So we need to keep away from anything that will take God's place in our heart. You know, well, well, that don't really fill. That's just a little bit. That little bit might put us off course. It's important. Well, you know what? We're about done, but I got so much more I want to tell you. You wouldn't get no lunch, maybe no supper. One more verse. First Corinthians 14. And it simply says, let love be your highest goal. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm talking about loving God and loving your neighbor. I'm talking about loving God and loving people. What do you see? What do you see? Loving God and loving people. You see a cross? Loving vertical, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then loving our neighbors, as Do You see that cross that's there? That's where we die. A cross was where Jesus died. That's where we die to our own selfish ambitions and goals. And we want to reach our full potential. And we say, God, I want to be occupied with you. I'm going to love you with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. And I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And God, he needs men and women in all the areas of life that you're at right now. But he needs us to be occupied with himself. And we'll reach our full potential. And we'll illuminate the area in which we are at. When we've allowed God to occupy us, there'll be light that'll pierce the darkness wherever it is at. When we allow him to occupy us. And not Smarties, you know, are not something of lesser worth. Our time is up. Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. We thank you... for your word, and we want to be occupied with you. May you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, and may we be empowered to do all that you created us to do. We know we have an assignment from you. We have a mission, almighty God, and we want to be true and faithful to your mission, almighty God. So one day when we see you face to face, you will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Bless us here, Father the men, and the women, the boys and the girls that are here, help us to keep our priorities right, to always honor you and to seek you and your kingdom first, knowing that everything we need for ourselves and everything we need for our family, it'll be added to us. It'll come looking for us. Your goodness and mercy is running after us and will affect us and our children. Almighty God, thank you for what you have done and what you have promised For us, Father, bless these men and women here in this building. Bless those who are watching online. Help us to grasp hold of the truths we've studied here today. May we apply those things to our life, that we'll make it a point to keep away from those things that might take your place in our heart. Help us, Almighty God. Even as small and tiny as they may be, help us to stay away from those things that we know are harmful to us. As our heads are bowed, I'd ask you, if you know Christ already, would you reaffirm your faith, reaffirm your commitment to him today? And if you don't know him, would you declare your faith and invite him to occupy you today? Here, or if you're watching online, would you join us as we pray? Would you join me right now? Would you pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe it. you love me. And that's why you sent your son Jesus. You demonstrated your love by sending Jesus. I believe he died in my place. I believe he paid for my sins. And I believe he rose from the dead. I believe Jesus is knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide that door. And I welcome Jesus into my life as my Savior, as my King. I'm sorry for my sinful ways. I turn from those things, and I choose this day to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.